So I want to talk about light. I'm just so thankful that I, I think human beings are born. And every human being, there's something inside them searching for something that's beyond this world. Like God created us with space in our souls for intimate communion with him. And some people, you know, their whole life is, is in darkness and they, they fill it with darkness, you know. But, but basically, unless, unless you're really given to evil, you try to fill your life up with things that seem good, you know, shiny, new, and, you know, as a, I'm speaking from a, an old man who was a young man and a boy before that. But, you know, I've filled my life up with, you know, motorcycles, you know, friends, activities, motorcycles, cars, skiing, horses, you know, whatever it was that um, river and, and all that. And it's like, it just never fills up that whole void. And so some people give their whole life to a career that's gonna like, oh man, this is the best career and I'm gonna retire when I'm 45 and that'd be a sad life. I just think, what if I just sat around for the last 30 years, 30, you know, like it'd be weird. But anyway, no offense if you retired when you're 45, but do something with the rest of your life, you know, because it's less than half over. Uh, the, but the, you know, people give themselves to things even and make idols out of things, fill their lives up with things that become God's small G's that can never satisfy, even a marriage. You know, you may be married to the most amazing person on earth, but they can't do for you what God only can do. And, uh, and so I'm just so thankful that he came to set us free and to fill us up with light. So we're created to seek for it, aren't we? Okay, Holy Spirit, we thank you that in our darkness, you light us up. Thank you, Jesus, that in our darkness, you came to be the light of the world. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you answered our corporate human-wide rebellion and sin with sending your son to save us from the self-inflicted darkness. We worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to shine light into our lives, into our hearts, into the word of God, that it would be alive and it would transform us today and every day. We thank you for this season that we celebrate this great gift that's beyond words that you sent to planet Earth. We live for you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, you know, these, uh, I think John preached and then Ben preached on light. And uh, it's, you know, this is, it's such a great thing that we celebrate the birth, the incarnation of God in the darkest season of the year. You know, if I lived in Australia or South Africa or 
Chile or someplace, it'd be the hottest, brightest season, but it works well in the Northern Hemisphere. You know, it's all dark and cold, and, and, uh, and, there, and then the light comes. It's like God sends light to light up our darkness. Wonderful. So we're created, you know, we're created to look for that. We're created to, the, and probably by the time I was in my late teens, I had run through enough, you know, messed up, pursuits that I started looking for things that were bigger and beyond this world. And so by 1971, um, Anne and I met in 1965, which is like ancient history, especially if you're only 15 years old. But uh, (laughs) it's like, but we were young, you know, we were 15, we were 14 actually when we met. But so when I'm 20 and I'm really seeking all, you know, seeking some kind of transcendence through Eastern religions and self, self-inflicted uh, dietary restrictions. And, uh, <laughs> and so Ann and I get together and we're on this journey looking for light. And so on, it came Christmas time. And my family, we, you know, there were five boys. Basically, our celebration of Christmas wasn't much. It was, you know, there would be a tree and presents and Christmas morning we'd rip everything apart and... And we were happy, but it was short-lived and it wasn't very profound. So 1971, the first time I'm included in the Michael family, Christmas Eve, and Anne's mom was like a master planner. She, she had it figured out. Each person would pick a name. And they'd get it in the summer or fall, and so they knew, and they were supposed to think about this person and buy just the right gift for them. And, and so, so Christmas Eve came, and there's this big dinner, and then afterwards, everybody's sitting around. This is up in their, their house in the mountains, and there's a fireplace and a Christmas tree. And one of the younger, you know, what uh, would be my future nieces and nephews, <laughs> would be assigned to, uh, to go get, there'd be these presents, and there'd be a lot of people, and they would get one and read the name and just give it to whoever they could. And it wasn't in order, it was just like whichever one got picked. And so they would announce who it was for and who it was from. And then they would present it and the person would open, the, and this is something I'd never seen before. They would open it very carefully, like they want to reuse the paper or something, you know? It's like, like, like you know, that, that, and, and then they open it and they look at it and they think about it and then they say something really nice and maybe the person who gave it talks and stuff. And it was this wonderful. Like I just thought, man, my heart is full. And so after that, we had this plan because we were seeking and we thought, well, you know, it's, it's Christmas Eve. This is a high Christian holiday. We want to be spiritual. We'll go to midnight mass because I didn't know anything else about how to find, you know, the Christian God basically. And, and so at about, I don't know, 10, 30, 11, Anne's not feeling good. And she says, I don't think I can go. And, uh, and I was a little disappointed. And she said, well, you go without me. You know, that's fine. And I was terrified. I thought, I, I don't know what to do in a Catholic church. You know, I, never, I went to Sunday school a few times. I got kicked out of Sunday school when I was five. <laughs> a Methodist Sunday school. <laughs> but that's a different story. But the, uh, the, uh, anyway, just being foolish. But the... Uh, <laughs> The, 
So I didn't want to go. So we, you know, postponed it. And later that we went to a Easter sunrise service with some like the early Jesus movement people singing choruses and stuff. And God started to draw us in a whole chain reaction. So I'm so thankful what was a disappointment to me on that uh, Christmas Eve actually was the provision of God because the next Christmas Eve came, we said, okay, we'll go, you know, we'll go tonight. So we went to All Saints uh, Parish Catholic Church in this little mountain town we were in. And we sat in front of this really drunk guy named George. And, uh, and so we're, by this time, we met Jesus. You know, we met Jesus. We get in May and, you know, we were filled with the Holy Spirit. We were radical. We'd been baptized. And so, so we're reading it and I, you know, there's this missile with all the red, blue, stand up, sit down. And, you know, and I, it's going really fast. Like, it's like, I didn't know the goal in mass is how fast you can do it. You know, like good mass, father. It only took 15 minutes, you know? So I'm like, and I'm going, wait, I'm trying to read it with feeling. So we're even, even though it's going fast, we are reading it with feeling and it stirs up something in George some, you know, some critter in him, and he starts mocking us, like really, like becoming, and his wife keeps elbowing him and said, George, George, stop that, stop that, you're in church, you know, and so when we left there, um, I was so thankful that we met Jesus, we met, we went to these meetings where there was worship, and this is not, I mean, I know there are amazing Catholic communities and churches where people really meet God, but they're, they're, sadly, a lot of them are few and far between. This wasn't one of them. Father Lacey needed a lot of help. He needed to get saved, you know, but, and I knew him. <laughs> and uh, through my life growing up in the town, but it was just so empty, and we left there, and I thought, Jesus, thank you. Isn't that funny? And didn't feel good. You could think like, oh, man. But I'm telling you, nothing's random, Nothing's incidental or accidental. We, from our perspective, it is. But God was shepherding us into the right environment where we would get, we would encounter Jesus, because that's who we were looking for. Isn't isn't God good? Anyway, that's the beginning. Okay, so that's is you know, this is in our hearts to look for light, and. Uh, and until we come to the light, we're sitting in darkness. And that's what Isaiah says in chapter 9. It's, it's written in uh, chapter 4 of Matthew 4.16. The people who sat or dwelt in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has shined. And that's what happened to us. Thank you, Jesus. The amazing thing is that it didn't just happen to us. It happened for the whole world, and it happened in a bigger way, and it happened at the right time. And Galatians tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. The fullness of time. This is Galatians chapter four, verse four. And verse five goes on, why was he born of a woman and born under the law? Next verse, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, why did the, those under the law need to be redeemed? Because 
elsewhere in Galatians, Paul explains that to live under the law is a curse because you can't keep the whole law. And so Jesus redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. In, in his letter to the Corinthians, he said, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. But you might wonder, how did God, the creator, the sinless one, become a curse or become sin? Well, it's quite amazing. It's written that anyone who hangs on a tree, that's what, you know, hangs on a cross in Deuteronomy, it's written that anyone who hangs on a tree is a curse. So he didn't become a curse by doing something bad. He, he became a curse by, by the foreordained plan of God that though he was sinless, he would end up crucified, which was the penalty for the worst of the worst, the runaway slaves and, and people. It was like, whoa. And so all this trials and everything where it, we're feeling like, oh, you know, and Pilate says, what should I do? And should I release him? Because he's a nice guy. I can't find anything wrong with him. And they're all crying out, crucify him, crucify him. Somehow in Jesus, he knew the plan. And he's saying, not going to happen. I'm not going to be released. I am going to be crucified. I must be crucified because I must become a curse to release them from the curse. Come on. Isn't God brilliant? Oh, man, we can't understand it. It says if the princes of this world had understood it, they wouldn't have crucified him because it killed them. Okay, so fullness of time. What, what made, why was it the fullness of time? For 400 years, no prophet had spoken. What makes it the fullness of time? Because it was filled up, time was filled up with trouble, with dangers, with frustrations, with deaths, diseases, wars, human inability to save ourselves. And God knew that now we knew we couldn't save ourselves. And so he sent his son. This was the eternal plan. And the son was born of a woman, born. Like that's an unusual word you wouldn't really think, you know, associate with God, that God was born, but he, he was not born like a human, he was born as a human. And do you think maybe Mary like held him and wondered like, is this what God looks like? You know, I mean, it's like, whew. hmm. St. Augustine wrote this, man's maker was made man that he, the ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast that the bread, which Ben was talking about, the bread of life, might hunger, that the fountain of life might thirst, that the light of the world might sleep, that the way might be weary on its journey, that strength might grow weak, that the healer might be wounded, and that life might die. Why did he do that? So that we could live. <laughs> and God, I mean, actually, God knows what it's like to be human. He knows about deadlines, long lines, people who don't get it. He knows everything you've gone through, he went through. He just doesn't know about you. He knows it because he experienced it. Jesus, he knows what it is to be human. He was born under the law. Now, thank God, he kept the law. He did, he did what no other could, one could do because he was born like us yet without sin. And, and why did he do this? To redeem us from under the law. So 
we celebrate Christmas, we love Christmas. Christmas celebrates the beginning, it, it, it celebrates the beginning of what Easter will complete. <laughs> the death and resurrection, amen. So anyway, it's the, the uh, and he did this for a reason, so that we might receive adoption of son. That's something, what does that mean? Now, this word adoption of son, it, which we'll talk about another time in more, but it means, to be, it means to be recognized as a mature member of the family. Like even if you were born naturally, you needed to be adopted because if you weren't adopted, you have no part of the family inheritance. And because of the adoption as sons, we have intimacy. The Holy Spirit inside us cries out, Abba, Daddy. Abba and Ima, the first two words a little Hebrew child would speak. Like, Dada, Abba. Jesus introduces us to the Father, who's too holy to be named, Hashem, the name that we don't name, as Abba. Is that good? This is the adoption of sons, the Holy Spirit inside of us, and he gives it to us before we're ready, but it involves access, free access, and it involves freedom. We're no longer slaves. Come on. No longer slaves. This is what it says in verse seven. No longer slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God, and Romans says that we're co-heirs with Jesus. And by the way, for all the women Women could also be adopted in the ceremony and, and made a son. It wasn't gender specific. It had to do with legal status, with access, with maturity, and with recognition within the family. So we're all sons of God, and all the men are brides of Christ. I know it's like an old joke for some of us, but some of us maybe never heard it, and you're wondering like, oh. So... We all are born to look, we're, we're born captive, but we want to be free. We're born limited, but that we want something inside us to become unlimited. What limits us is our own sin and weakness. What sets us free is that Jesus Christ took all our failings, all our rebellion, all our selfishness and stupidness and, and pettiness and resentment and everything else ugly that every single human being has some, even if you hide it well, he took it on himself and he gives us righteousness, peace, and joy. He gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. That's a pretty good change. He gives us the riches of his own person. Oh my gosh, his presence transforms us. Matthew 1, 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive, now that's a miracle, we know that, and bear a son, specific, this is all before anything happens, she'll bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. In fact, this is a quotation or citation, is a better way to put it, from Isaiah who, who prophesied this 700 years before Jesus was born. What are the chances? And his name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It's not God, it's not just God made us, he did. It's not just God thinks of us, 
He does. You're always on his mind and in his plans. It's not just that God's above us. He's God and we're not. Hooray. Quote one of our famous friends. But God is with us where we are, in the office, in the kitchen, on the plane, in, you know, in all, every frustrating and every wonderful situation. He breathed our air and he walked this same earth. And here's what the difference is. When he came, he released light. We were singing it. When you walk into the room, everything changes. It's why we worship. We sense it. It's true. It's our testimony. When you walk into the room, everything is transformed. Changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. Thank you, Jesus. He's in us, and now he's living through us. We're in him. He's made us one. He's the promised seed who was promised to Abraham. And Galatians is specific. God promised your, in your seed all the earth will be blessed, not your seeds, plural. Who's the seed? The seed is Jesus Christ. How are we blessed? Because we're in him. So we have the same blessing, Ephesians 1, blessed with every heavenly blessing that's in Christ Jesus. The amazing thing is, even though we're looking for light, he is looking for us. God actually, it's kind of like a heat-seeking missile toward darkness. You know, he, like we're, we're looking for the light, and he's looking for the darkest places to go light them up. And so we don't brag that we met Jesus. <laughs> Just meant he, he, he knew we, were, we needed him. And this is true for every person, even if you grew up in the most wonderful family and you loved Jesus since you were 18 months old, without him, you would be darkness. He seeks us. The amazing thing is, we see in this story darkness trembling when he shows up. Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, I'm gonna read this out of New Living because it just reads more like a story. At that time, this is when Mary was pregnant and when she was getting great with child. And like, there are some women around here who are great with child. And, <laughs> yeah, and they can be really great. And so Mary was really great. She was ready to go into labor. Um, at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. Why? Light had come into the world, and it's troubling the darkness. So there's wars, and there's all this stuff going on, and the Roman Empire had expanded, and, and Augustus Octavian, who named himself Kaiser, he was the first one to take this Latin title, Kaiser, that meant the emperor, Kaiser of Augustus, the revered one, <laughs> you know, the almost god, the demigod. That's what he called himself, Caesar Augustus. And so you know, in, in his megalomania and a desire to expand, 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 he had a lot of wars to fight. He needed more money for his army. He had to raise taxes. The darkness was trembling. God was using this dark, bloody emperor. God was using the barbarians out on the far edges, like stir it up, cause trouble. Like these Romans, they're, they're having it too easy. And so the trouble causes a response. 
And that response is going to be part of the plan of God. At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem of Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. This is quite amazing that this works out this way. This is how they decide, okay, we're gonna send everybody back to their census because no one had cell phones. They couldn't be pinged and tracked all over the earth like it can happen today. They had, well, send them all back to where, where their ancestors came from. And so here's Joseph living in one of the worst poorly reputed places in the entire region. And he, had, because he's an ancestor, I mean, his ancestor is King David, David and Mary, or sorry, Joseph and Mary, make this long, painful journey to Bethlehem. And, uh, and so he took with him Mary, who, to whom he was engaged, betrothed. It's like she was great with child, but they weren't married. They hadn't had sex. And, uh, and this was a miracle that no one believed. <laughs> like, Joseph didn't believe it until it was told to him in a dream. I don't know if Mary's parents ever believed it. I mean, maybe they did later if they got saved. But, they, but you understand, it's like, God, this is not convenient. This is a real mess. So he brings Mary, and while they're there, the time came for her baby to be born. And by the way, we don't know the exact date. Isn't that convenient? <laughs> and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in the manger because there was no lodging for them. So God is doing his work and it doesn't look like it. And we'll get into the swaddling cloths later. But meanwhile, because now light is in her, she's carrying the light. She's the first person to carry the light in the world, to have Christ in her, the hope of glory, first person in the world ever, and wherever she goes, God, the Son, the fully God, fully human, is inside her. And so they end up there, and nobody notices, nobody, they probably thought, well, there's something about them, but they didn't know what it was, and it was inconvenient, so they ended up um, having to have the baby and someplace and put, put him in a stone feeding trough for his first cradle. Now, you, you know this story, but it keeps going because glory is invading planet Earth at this time. No wonder the darkness was trembling. It was getting nervous. Verse eight and nine, I'm going back to the ESV version. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night, right around Bethlehem, between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. There's still shepherds out there. I'm maybe not right at the moment because of the war that I hope we're praying for Israel and praying for protection of life, innocent life on, on every side. But um, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Why would they be watching their flocks overnight? Perhaps because they were lambing at that time. And an a Now, this is the part they weren't expecting. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And so these shepherds 
represent ordinary people. I mean, they may have been a special group of shepherds. They may have been tasked with, they were actually watching for the, the lambs that would be suitable for sacrifice in the temple. And, and so they, they want to really keep their eye on, on their flock. And, and then this angel appears to them, just unexpected, completely not what they were thinking was going to happen. And not only did the angel appear, he didn't appear subtly. Like some people here have probably had encounters with angels, but they just looked like people. And they just, you know, they talk to you. They, you know, they look all different sizes, all different colors, all different get-ups and, and costumes that they wear. And, and the only way you figure out it's an angel is you're talking to the person and then you say thank you and you turn around and look for them and they disappeared. You know, I'm, I'm just, and there's other ways. But this angel didn't show up like this. This angel showed up with glory. <laughs> the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with mega fear. This is this, this word mega that sometimes some of the young people use mega like People used to say awesome in the 90s. Now they say mega, not everybody, but just, it's like, it's like, it's this huge word. It means it doesn't get any bigger than this. And it's fear, but it's not just fear. It's like, it's like pain and pleasure at the same time. Like, like what is going on here? It's like, I, should I be here? Will I live? Am I going to die? But I don't want to leave. In fact, I can't leave because I'm paralyzed and you know, and they're just like overwhelmed by light, the light of his glory. And then the angel speaks to them. You know, I mean, this is, usually Jesus is a little more gentle, but this is an illustration of what we were seeing. When you walk into the room, every heart starts burning and nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet. And they probably, like all their other plans, worried about their flock, all that stuff. I, all that's on their mind is, are we gonna die or live? <laughs> and the angel said to them, verse 10, fear not. And in his word, there's power. Like there's deliverance when an angel speaks, there's the power of the Lord is released. When you speak, the power of the Lord is released. Fear not, behold, I'm bringing you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, this is, this is an important term. Good news is the word that we use for, like, evangelism. You know, it's, it's an, an announcement. This was a term used in the Roman world when there would be a great victory. There would be heralds that would go around and declare that another, another kingdom has been conquered and they would publish the good news. And they sent the people out to publish the good news, and they were called in the Greek language, the sent ones, apostello, and in Latin they were called the sent ones, which is where we get our English word missionary. So it's kind of like, so this angel is coming as on an apostolic mission, a missionary mission, missionary mission, that's kind of redundant, the assignment, to declare that the king has entered the room and that every other kingdom will eventually fall. I mean, it's wild. I, behold, I bring you good news. I'm making this announcement of great joy. Now it went from mega fear to mega joy. Like, wow, they're out of their minds with joy that will be for all people. So this, by the way, I love how... Um, our friend Brian Simmons has this in the Passion Translation. 
But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, I've come to bring you good news, the most joyful news the world has ever heard, and it is for everyone everywhere. You should just say that. It's for everyone everywhere, if you feel like it. Okay, <laughs> okay. When you walk into the room, sickness starts to vanish. Every hopeless situation ceases to exist because hopelessness cannot exist in the presence of the God of hope. He is hope. He's our blessed hope. We're looking for him. It's like once he shows up, this word hope means that a positive expectation that every promise of God will be fulfilled, that everything's going to work together for good. This is what hope is. It's not just like, oh, I hope. It's like, no. When he walks into the room, Every hopeless situation ceases to exist because I am overpowers the I'm not. Amen. Okay, the dead begin to rise. How's that? Resur there's resurrection life in all you do. Do you understand when Jesus touches you, you know, you think, oh, that was nice. It felt so sweet. When everything he does is filled with resurrection life. Everything he does actually equips us to release it someplace else we go. Just saying. So, so here's the promise. For unto you this day, it's the promise. God is keeping his promise. This is light, verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. So unto you, it, unto these everyday peoples, these, these shepherds, born, <laughs> That's just, wrap your head around that God was born, you know. This day, it's specific time. There's a specific time that's not incidental, it's not coincidental, it's not random, and it's the same for us when God comes to us on a day. It's this day. What if they'd say, well, we're gonna think about it. I think we should take a week and sleep it off and see if we, you'll lose the grace that's in the moment. Okay, this day, specific time in the city of David, specific location that ties it to every promise that was made to Israel in the, you know, in its, from Abraham through, you know, through the whole thing. In the city of David, a savior, a specific mission, he came to rescue, restore, renew, to, <laughs> to do what we can't do for ourselves, and it's a specific person, it's Christ, it's Hamashiach. It's the anointed one, the promised one that would come, that they were waiting for. He's Christ the Lord. That term Lord in the Greek language, he was claiming to be the emperor. He's, he's the Lord. He's, he's the, you know, everyone had to go and pay their tax and, and bend their knee, genuflect, and say, Caesar is Lord. And then they were a good Roman citizen. They paid a little offering. They bent their knee, and they were, they were good for the year. And that's how they're... <laughs> so when they were saying that he's Christ the Kyrios, if they, I don't know if they spoke Greek or not, but it's written in Greek in, at, by Matthew, like they're making a radical declaration that's subversive to the world order. Love it. Okay, and so then it has a specific sign that he came to save. It's in verse 12. And this will be a sign for you, you shepherds who understand this. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now the shepherds who cared for the temple lambs understood this. When a male lamb 
was without defect was born, he w- that, that male lamb without defect was suitable for sacrifice, and the shepherds would, would wipe them off and wrap them in a cloth to mark them. So this is a sign for them that they're going to see the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world, even though he's just a baby. Oh my gosh. And now the next thing happens, there's worship. Suddenly, there's worship. A massive army of worshipers shows up on the scene, verse 13, and suddenly, it's like, wait, God, we're just getting over, like, we can't even process what's being said to us. And it went from the glory of the Lord's shot all around them and this angel speaking in a great voice to suddenly there's this massive army, myriads and myriads, you know, of angels doing what they do in heaven. They're doing it in the atmosphere of earth. There was an angel, there, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, which means army, praising God, which means praise is a weapon, <laughs> and saying, Glory, they weren't saying it like we would just say it like this. They were singing it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to goodwill toward men or among those with whom he's pleased. They were saying, we are declaring shalom in the earth. We're singing it. Glory to God. Only God could think this up. And the angels were not saying, oh no, he came down from heaven. Look, now he's there in this little so manger with these smelly shepherds and animals. No, they're celebrating because they know, oh, it's happening. He's walked into the room. And this is, I mean, this is what's going on in heaven. Revelation 5, uh, verse 11 says, around the throne, around the living creatures, around the elders, there's many angels, the voice of many angels, and the number of them was 10,000 times, 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying or singing with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, glory and blessing. Maybe what if they were singing that there? You know, like (laughs) over the... Feels it's like heaven came to earth. This is why when we worship, people have encounters with the presence of God because the this you know it's a thin place. It's like heaven and earth are intermingled, both within us and around us in the atmosphere. And so, what's the impact of worship? Okay, first thing, these shepherds become sent ones. And verse 16, they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, the, and it, which created wonder among those who heard. Verse 17, you know, it, it, it says all, verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the, they were like, what? They're out of their mind. Mary heard it, verse 19, and treasured it. And then, you know, she, she held on to it and said, wow, so much is going on in my life right now. And then the shepherds, they were done. They had delivered their message. They went back and they'd become Pentecostals. They're shouting and praising all the way back and, uh, and they go back to their job. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a few more minutes here. The, it goes on in verse 21. They took him at the end of eight days. It was time for him to be circumcised, and they named him Jesus, Yeshua. This was the name that was given 
to both Mary and Joseph. Mary before he was conceived, Joseph before he knew what was going on. And uh, so the one who named every star at creation is now named by his mother and his adoptive father, which is very important. He was also adopted. He was born and he was adopted. <laughs> it's like amazing. And, the, uh, and so, but then the next verse, verse 22, Luke 22, is for 33 days later. The days of her purification according to the law of Moses, were completed. And they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. They brought the Lord to the Lord, to the, the temple to present him to his father, to the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is a wild family story. And he's six weeks old. And, uh, you know, he counted the number of stars. Now they're counting the days till it's time to take. And it's just the humility God is stunning so there is a very important person who shows up at this point. His name is Simeon. He's an old, godly man. And it says he, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He was expecting. He said, God, I know you're going to fulfill your promise. I know you're coming. I know you're coming. In the New King James, it capitalizes consolation. Some translations just put Messiah. Of Israel, but it was like it's the same word that's used of the Holy Spirit when Jesus says, I must go, but I'll send you another helper, a comforter. That's the word the that, that he's looking and he sees him. And it had been revealed to him. And I love this. I'm going to read the next couple of verses out of the New Living Translation. So important timing. You can stand up. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God. Now, so that day, why? why? It's like that day, maybe he planned, I have, you know, I was going to go fishing, but I don't know, I just had a feeling I should go Go to the temple. I don't know. I just feel like something. Have you ever changed your direction? And you, I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit is in you, around you. He's guiding you. And then, and why was it was important? Because he didn't miss the timing. So when Mary and Joseph show up with the baby, as the law required, Simeon was there. And that he was there. So when they came, he was there. And can you imagine, I mean, there are probably like more people in the temple milling around than there are in this room. Probably, maybe five times more. It, it was a busy place. But somehow Simeon, he's been looking for the coming, the consolation of Israel. And he's looking around like, God, why did you bring me here? I don't know. You know, I mean, I know you told me this and I'm waiting for it, but you know, I'm waiting for it every day. And you've, it, you know, you told me this years ago and I don't know, like, hey, look at them. Hmm. And I make something different there. You ever look and you say, I, I need to meet that. And, and he walks over there and as he gets closer, he's like, ah. and 
Look at this. Now, this is an old man with a couple he's never met with their first child. He took the child in his arms. Praise God. Can you imagine this? This old guy comes up and, you know, there's Mary. She's probably still a teenage mom. And it's just like, ah. and he goes, um, uh, would you mind? Would you, I just want to hold him. I just want to, would you mind? And something inside them, they see, they read him. You know, they, they scan and, and there's like they discern. He's a righteous and just man. He's a godly, yes, you can. And he holds the creator of the universe and the Mashiach that he was promised he would see in his hands. And then he begins, like he, that was the high point of his life. He lived his whole life for that moment. And wasn't it important for God the Son that at this time he's being presented by God is held by this godly man who believed the promises of God and believed what the Holy Spirit had told him. And so he begins to sing and he says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace. In Latin, it's nunc dimitas, which means now you may dismiss me. As you have promised, I've seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nations, and he's the glory of your people, Israel. And so he declares shalom for himself, salvation, he declares that he didn't just come to be the Messiah of Israel, but he, became, he came also to save all nations and to be the glory of Israel. Why don't you stand up? This is beyond words. Oh, you are standing up. Sorry. Why don't I shut up? Okay. The, uh, I just think we, we want to declare this, that we live this season in wonder at the gift that God has given us. It just delivers us from every kind of stress and brings us into peace. So let's, let's sing.
I want you to pray with me. I'm going to pray and you can just responsibly repeat it. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending the Savior, the light, who would set us free to become sons and not slaves, to become a daughter and not a slave. That's just for the women. Okay. Lord Jesus, I welcome you. I give you permission to come into my life and consume it with your love and regenerate me continually to be more and more like you, to burn with your love, to shine with your light wherever I go, whoever I touch. It's all yours, Jesus. Thank you for coming and saving and we say, Lord Jesus, come quickly, come again, finish it all, fill the earth with your glory. I believe your promise. Help me to remember every day in every situation in this time, in your glorious name, I say yes, amen, amen, amen. amen. amen.